Okay, turn in your Bibles to the book of Job. Go, Marty. This is the uh, second in the uh, series here on temptation. Any of you tempted to do anything last week you shouldn't do? <laughs> Any of you do anything last week you shouldn't have done? Uh, yes, he, uh, I did. No, I'm not going to tell you. Uh, <laughs> this is not public confession here today. This is sermon. But you know what? We're all tempted, right? Yeah. And sometimes we give in to that temptation. That's not right when we do, but we do sometimes. And uh, that's real life, uh, and uh, we have to deal with it. But uh, today we're going to talk about the story of Job. And then next week we'll conclude the series uh, on Jesus. So we'll start out with that. Adam and Eve last week, Job today, and then uh, Jesus next week with the... Uh, the two big temptation uh, stories there from Jesus' life, which I'm, I'm sure will be great. What I'm going to do here is uh, I'm going to tell you the story of Job. Job is uh, 42 chapters, or 43, I'm not sure, 40-some chapters. It's a long story. We certainly don't have time to get it all today. Some of you know the story of Job because you've read through the Bible or maybe you've heard sermons in the past. Some of you are not familiar with the story of Job. And so I'm going to give you a rough sort of an outline of what happens in the story of Job. And then we're going to come back and we're going to piece together some things that will hopefully be helpful for us uh, in, in the sense of looking at Satan, first of all. And then we're going to look at Job and we'll talk a little bit about uh, that. Job is a guy that is a very wealthy guy. He has ten children. So the story is that he's been blessed by God with his children. He's been blessed by God uh, with, his, uh, with his wealth. And Satan comes and, and he's with God and the angels. And this conversation goes on between God and Satan about Job. And basically Job says, well, the only reason he loves you is because you're so good to him and he never goes through any difficulties in his life. And God says, well, okay. Uh, I, I have a lot of confidence in him. Basically, you can have your way with him, but you can't kill him. And uh, uh, he loses his family. His children die through a, a series of uh, terrible events. Uh, and he loses his wealth. But he comes through this, this time, and he still says the right things. He's still in a relationship with God and still loves God. Then Satan comes back again and says, well, the only reason he loves you now is because you haven't afflicted him personally with anything. And so then he, Satan has this, uh, this conversation with God and God says, well, okay, but you can't, you can't kill him. You can't inflict him physically. And of course, that, that then does happen. And then you, you go through this long series of conversations between Job and his three friends. And we're going to talk a little bit about them a little bit later, so I won't get into that right now. But these three friends talk to him and basically try to convince him the reason that these bad things have happened in your life is because you are a bad person and God is punishing you. And Job just won't have anything to do with it. He's like, no, that's not what's going on here. This is not uh, the conclusion that should be reached. And he argues back and forth with his friends. And it gets pretty uh, lengthy at times and it gets pretty uh, engaged at times. Sometimes they really get busy with each other. Then another guy comes in, a younger guy, and he's ticked off at the three guys because he says, you guys, you know, you, you're totally blowing it here. You don't know what you're doing. 
And so he comes in, he's sort of the rookie, and he's going to show the old three guys uh, how they're blowing it, and they don't know what to do. And uh, he goes through that. That doesn't work either. Then God comes back in, has a long conversation with Job. At the end, Job uh, uh, understands where he's at. He says some things that, are, that we'll look at a little bit later. And then uh, uh, at the end of his life, he is totally blessed again and actually ends up with more than what he had in the first place as far as family and riches. If you have not read the book of Job, please do. You should read the book of Job. Now, it's not an easy read. I'm going to tell you that right now. You're going to have to put your head down a couple times and get through it. Particularly in the middle, when the conversations are going back and forth, that gets a a little difficult to to piece together. But I want to make three observations about Job that I think are observations for our life. Number one will be Job's foundation. Number two will be Job's frustration. And the last thing then will be Job's final conclusion. And these are things that will work in our life just as surely as they work in his life. But before we get to that, we've got to look at Satan and Satan's involvement in this entire story. Are you in Job? Yes, sir. Okay, Job chapter 1, verse 6. On the day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. Now, if you look at the footnote on Satan, what does it say? Satan means accuser. That's interesting. That Satan and accuser, the accuser, we're going to look at another passage about that in a moment, but Satan's there as well. It says, where have you come from? Now look at Satan's answer. Satan answered the Lord from roaming through the earth and going back and forth on it. So God says to Satan, where have you come from? What have you been doing? He says, I've been roaming all over creation. And then look a little further on to chapter 2, verse 1. This is now the second thing that we talked about. It says, on another day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them to present himself before them. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? So same question, where did you come from? And the answer is the same. Satan answered the Lord from roaming through the earth and going back and forth on it. So by Satan's own description, uh, what does he do? What is Satan doing? He is roaming back and forth over the creation and making observations about people. Look over to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. Peter talks about this very same thing as he talks about Satan. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. Be self-controlled and alert. You guys there? Yeah. Come on, man, you got to move. Get those Bibles going. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith because you know your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Temptation is called suffering here. Satan is described in Job and now by Peter as roaming around looking. For, 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 for people, looking for opportunity in people's lives. Have you felt that in your life? Yes. I can tell you there are times in my life I can feel the presence of Satan looking, wiring me out, trying to figure out 
How can I destroy Marty? How can I bring him down? How can I hurt him? How can I uh, maim him in life? And I bet if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you have felt the eyes of Satan on you. That's what Satan does. He looks. He observes. He analyzes. We are all different. We have likes and dislikes. We have tendencies. We, we have uh, 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 things about the way we live our life, the things that we are tempted by. Some of us are tempted by things that others of us are not tempted by. Satan figures you out. Satan looks at you. He analyzes. He's roaming back and forth across the earth. That's what he does. Now in Revelation, since you're in the back of the New Testament, look at Revelation 12 uh, in verse 10. In this passage, John, in, in Revelation, John, the Apostle John wrote Revelation. He uses the same word describing Satan. Begin in verse 10. It says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before God day and night has been hurled down. And it goes on to say they overcame Him and blah, blah, blah. We don't want to get into that. John uses the same exact description of Satan. That Satan is the accuser of you and me. Now let's imagine the conversation that goes on between Satan and God the Father about me. He says, God, Father, Marty is guilty of... And he lays it out. And He accuses me. Marty doesn't deserve to be saved. Marty doesn't deserve your love. Marty doesn't deserve your protection. Because he did this. He did that. He said this. He gave in then. He gave in here. He messed up there. He is a total mess. How can you ever love Him? You say, wow, man, he's going heavy on Marty. Well, he goes heavy on you too. He is the accuser. He doesn't have to make up a story. The story is there. Now God says, "I, I know, but He's mine. I've forgiven Him. Jesus is there. He's our prosecuting attorney. And He's saying... Yeah, he's guilty of that, but I died on the cross for that. So every sin that God hears from Satan's mouth, Jesus says, yes, he's forgiven. And that's good news. Amen? Amen. We have Jesus there being our protector. But that's who Satan is. He is the great accuser. And he's, he's winding around. He's, he's roaming around your life, my life. And he's figuring out what's going on in our life. We are constantly being tested because life changes and circumstances change in our life. As a young man, I thought some of the temptations that a young man would face would change in life. And some things do change in life. But you know what? Some things are more tempting when you're in your 50s than they were when you were in your 20s. 
Some things are bigger in our 20s than they are in our 50s. Now, some of you aren't 50, and you, some of you are not even 20. But whatever. Uh, you, you understand what I'm saying? Our life changes, and so the temptations that can be thrown at our feet to cause us to stumble are different. But Satan is always going to be there. He is always going to be tempting. He is always looking for an opportunity to ruin my faith, to ruin your faith, and to mess us up. Now, let's, let's go back to Job, okay? And Job, and let's see what Job does. Number one, Job's foundation. Look back to Job 1. You guys with me here? Job 1, verse 20. Now, this is after the first thing has happened. His children lose their life. His, his crops are messed up. His livestock. In other words, he's lost his family. He's lost his fortune. And this is what he does. Look at this. At this, Job got up, tore his robe. In other words, he realizes bad things have happened. And shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked will I depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Okay, then the second things happen. In verse 9, chapter 2, verse 9. And we're going to come back and talk a little bit more about the wife. So we're just going to move past this at the moment. But it says, His wife said to him, Are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. He replied, You are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Okay, and these two answers to God after the, the, the first two just calamitous things happened, his, his fortune is taken away. His family is taken away, with the exception of his wife. <laughs> We're going to come back and talk about the wife. But uh, on Valentine's weekend, amen. Uh, <laughs> his health is taken away. But his foundation seems to be very, very centered. God is in control, not me. We have received good and bad along the, the trek of our life, my life, and I am not going to get a bad heart, a bad attitude, a bad spirit. That is his foundation. Now, I'm telling you, that's a heck of a good foundation for you and me to have in life. Just think about that. If the foundation of our life is made up of of these concepts that are like building blocks of a foundation. Number one, God is in control. I am not. There's so many people in life believe they control their life. And they want control of their life. But it is the exact opposite of faith. Faith is that you fully, totally recognize, admit, and confess, I am not in control. God is in control. Man, we see that all around us all the time. And I don't want to get into a, 
a political discussion of the weather. But guys, we're not in control. Things happen in and around our lives, including the weather, that we are totally out of control on. You understand what I'm saying? We don't control. God controls. God can do things that are beyond belief if He chooses. God is in control. It goes back a couple weeks ago. Remember the study I did and and, and the the lesson we did about uh, the Lord's will be done? You know what? That's basically the way we should feel about life. The Lord's will be done. God's going to do what God wants to do anyway, and I feel okay with whatever God comes up with. Now realize that that's also going to be, you know, part of the foundation there is that God is in control, and then part of that foundation is also that we receive good from the Lord, and sometimes we receive hardship from God. Now when we get good from the Lord, we tend to say, Amen, God's in control. When we get hardship from the Lord, we're like, God, what's up? Everything was going great here, and then you took a day off. Now, there's there's an acceptance of a reality in our life. My life, your life, all of our lives. Is that sometimes, some circumstances of our life are good and agreeable to us. And we say, wow, this is wonderful. There are other things that happen in our life, sometimes because we did absolutely nothing to make it happen, But hardship comes into our life. Life is made up of blessings and life is made up of hardship. And we fully accept that and we fully accept that both are in the reality of the normal for me in my life. That's His foundation. Now He's been really blessed. He had ten kids. He had flocks more than anybody else. He was incredible. And then boom, it was gone. The children, the family's gone. The flocks and herds are gone. And he says, hey, are, are we going to be grateful when it comes? Are we going to blame God? He says, no. He says, basically, and I love how uh, he says this here. He says, naked I came from my mother's womb. I came into the world, didn't have a stitch of clothes on my back. That's true. That's how we all came into the world. None of us came in with anything on. Okay? And he says, a naked I will... Depart. You don't see a U-Haul trailer behind a hearse. Doesn't do any good. Okay? I came in naked. I'm going, I'm going back naked. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. His attitude is, I am not going to gripe. I'm not going to complain. I am going to keep a great attitude and spirit toward God and toward my fellow people around me. That's His foundation of life. That's a good foundation for you and me. God is in control. Good things and tough things happen in my life. And I'm going to keep a great spirit and a great attitude. Okay, now, let's go on. Number two, Job's frustration. His frustration is his wife, his friends, and his suffering. His wife. Let's talk about the wife. we got to go back. we got to touch on the wife. I know it's Valentine's weekend and all that. I don't think Raphael planned that uh, when, when he planned the series. But anyway, it is. And here we go. 
chapter 2, verse 9, His wife said to him, Are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. Wow, man, wife had a bad moment, right? But it wasn't just one. Look over to chapter 19. We got a pattern here. Chapter 19, verse 17. He's talking about a variety of things here. He says, My breath is offensive to my wife. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, sometimes the Bible is incredibly uh, 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 pertinent to real life, isn't it? The wife. The wife should be, or you would hope, hopefully should be, a sense of the greatest encouragement. But it seems that she is not. Are there times, wives, husbands, to be fair, that you really want to be a good wife, you really want to be a good husband, but you find yourself not being that? Have you ever ever sort of done a little bit of a self-diagnostic on yourself and you're like, you know, I'm not sure I've been great to be married to the last few days or hours or, you know, hopefully not weeks or months, but amen, you know, uh, or years, uh, you know. uh, You know, sometimes in the midst of wanting to, we find ourselves not being. And and I love the, the, uh, the bluntness here of the Bible and even just this little snapshot of looking into a family of thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago and we see our own self right here. You know, we we see how we sometimes are not the husband or wife uh, that we want to be. But she should be and and hopefully can be part of the solution. But right now, she is part of his frustration in life. It should be a goal of every wife and husband, to be fair, to want to be part of the solution in my spouse's life. I want my spouse, I want my wife, I want my husband to be a happier person because she's married to me. I want him to be a happier man because he's married to me. I don't want to be Job's wife. Man, Job's wife. You know, of all the wives in the Bible, don't pick Job's wife. This is not your goal. This is not, man, I want to be like Job's wife. No, 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 you don't want to be like Job's wife. Job's wife is having a bad day here. Or a bad couple days, you know. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe she was bad all the time. I don't know. Now, maybe he didn't marry well. You know, that, that might have happened as well. But anyway, Job's wife is a real uh, disappointment here. She is part of his frustration. His friends, wow, they try to help. Let's look back. In chapter 2, you see these three friends. In verse 11, you got uh, Eliphaz uh, the Temanite. So you got Eliphaz... Bildad the shoe height. This is actually, by the way, just a little note. This is the shortest guy in the Bible. Bildad the shoe height. Come on. Come on, guys. Bildad the shoe height. Did you get that, Karina? And so far. So you got these three fans. You got these three friends, and they come, and look, well, look what it says here in chapter 2. It says, They heard about his troubles and had come upon him. They set out from their homes and met together uh, by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. So they heard about what's going on, and they want to come and help the guy out. They want to sympathize with him. They want to comfort him. And in verse 12, it says, When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. Then he's looking bad. 
They began to weep aloud and they tore their robes and they sprinkled dust on their heads. Then they sat out on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. I think these guys intended, they really wanted to help, but wow, even from the beginning, they are not doing good. They go in and they look at him and they're, they're like, oh gosh. All of us at one time or another have, have had this opportunity in life. You want to encourage somebody and you go in and you actually look and see the circumstances and you're like, oh golly man. She looks awful. You, you ever gone to, to encourage someone and you go in the room and, and you just have to fight your lip you, because you're like, oh my, I can't say what I think. Uh, you know, how do I look? Uh, uh, oh, I, you look great. Oh. Maybe you lie right there, you know. Uh, but, but they didn't say anything. They just sat down for seven days, a week. And they didn't say anything to him. Look over to chapter 6. Job actually starts talking about this because he gets really frustrated with the guys. He says in verse 14, look at this now. A despairing man should have the devotion of his friends. This is Job talking. Even though he forsakes the fear of the Almighty. But my brothers are as undependable as intermittent streams. He says, my friends are like streams that sometimes have water in them and sometimes don't. As the streams that overflow when darkening by thaw, by, by, darkened by thawing ice. He's saying, when, when you don't need water, there's tons of water. He says, but that, but they, 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 this, this flowing, they cease to flow in the dry season. And in the heat, vanish from their channels. Caravans turn aside from their roots. They go up into the wasteland and perish. The caravans of Tema look for water. The traveling merchants of Sheba look, look in hope. They are distressed because they have been confident. They arrived there only to be disappointed. Now you too have proved to be of no help. He says, you guys are like a stream. I'm dying of thirst. And I come and, and there's nothing there. You've come to help me, but you're, you're worthless. Look over to chapter 16. Verse 1. Then Job replied. This is replying to uh, Eliphaz after he has talked to him. And Job replied, I have heard many things like these. Miserable comforters are you all. <laughs> Will your long-winded speeches never end? What ails you that you keep on arguing? I also could speak like you. If, I were in, if you were in my place, I could make fine speeches against you and shake my head at you. But my mouth would encourage you and comfort from my lips would bring you relief. He says, listen, you guys, you're awful. If I came to help you out, I'd encourage you. But you don't do anything to me to help me out in my life. Now let me ask you this. Are your friends... Don't raise your hand on this. Are your friends sometimes a disappointment to you? And I'm talking about the people in the church. I'm not talking about the people in the world. Let's get real. They can be 
And they are sometimes. I'm sure that I'm a disappointment to you as sometimes as your, as your minister, as your pastor, the person shepherding your soul. Is your wife, your husband, are your children, are your parents ever a disappointment to you? That you feel like, I need you to be here for me. I need you to help me. And it seems that they are just worthless or maybe worse than worthless. They add to the problem. That's what basically Job is saying is I need you turkeys to encourage me. And instead of encouraging me, all you do is you pile on. on You make it worse. Job was really suffering. Look at chapter 19. Verse 13. He feels alone. Look at this. He says... Uh, In verse 13, He has alienated my brothers from me. My acquaintance are completely estranged from me. I feel alone. My kinsmen have gone away. My friends have forgotten me. My guests and my maidservants count me a stranger. They look upon me as an alien. I summon my servant, but he does not answer. Though I beg him with my mouth, even the servants won't come. My breath is offensive to my wife. I am loathsome to my own brothers. Even the little boys scorn me. And when I appear, they ridicule me. All my intimate friends detest me. Those I love turned against me. I am nothing but skin and bones. I have escaped with only the skin of my teeth. And if you look at the footnote there, it says only his gums. He says, man, I, I, I have got sores on me. At one point he says, they are bleeding, they are oozing, uh, there are worms coming out of them. I am scraping myself with broken pottery because I am itching so bad. I am miserable. My family is gone. My fortune is gone. My health is deteriorating. And all you can do is criticize me. I am suffering physically. I am suffering emotionally. He's really hurting here. He is not acting. You know, sometimes someone says, ow! And we think, oh, toughen up. (laughs) That happened last week. I I felt bad. Karina opened one of the kitchen cabinets and she ow! What's wrong with you? Oh, it pinched me. And I said, oh, geez, toughen up. I thought it was no big deal. We get in the car and she's got this big welt on her forearm. <laughs> Call me Bill Dad, you know. I felt so bad. I apologized umpteen times. I was really sorry. I thought you just acted. <laughs> We all do that every once in a while, don't someone says, ow, 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 we like toughen up, suck it up, you know, come on, man, show some guts, grow up here a little bit. And then you really realize that we're actually hurting. He's really hurting here. He's lost everything. He, he, he can't even get a servant. He calls his servants. Servants don't even obey him anymore. They're like, I, I ain't gonna, hey, it looks awful. I ain't going to go in there and help him out. He is really, really, really suffering. Look over to chapter 7, verse 1. I wish I could read more of this. It's just a long read. We can't. He says in verse 7, verse 1, Does not man have hard service on earth? Are not his days like those of a hired man? Like a slave longing for evening shadows? A hired man waiting eagerly for his wages? 
So I have been allotted months of futility and nights of misery have been assigned to me. When I lie down, I think, how long before I get up? The night drags on and I toss until dawn. My body is clothed with worms and scabs. My skin is broken and festering. He's really hurting. And he feels like, gosh, I bring my friends over here and they don't help a bit in life. Physical suffering, emotional suffering. He's going through a hard time. Now, let's skip to the third thing. Job's final conclusion. Now, we're going to skip a lot of the story. And and like I said, please go back and read the book of Job. Slug through it and get through it. You'll get to the end and you'll see what I'm talking about. Chapter 42. The Lord has just spoken to Job and it's been like a a three-chapter rebuke, I think. To Job. And basically telling Job, Job, listen, you, you haven't blamed me, but you have a bit of an attitude. That's very over, over, uh, overriding commentary about what God says to him. And this is what Job says. Then Job replied to the Lord. So this is Job now speaking back to God. I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You ask, who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely, this is, this is key right here. Surely I have spoken things I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak and I will question you. And you will answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. After the Lord had said these things to Job, He said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourself. My servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. You have not spoken of me of what is right as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhat, and Zophar the Naamite did what the Lord told them and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord made him prosperous again and gave him twice as much as he had before. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in his house. They comforted and consoled him over all the trouble the Lord had brought upon him and each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and a thousand donkeys. And he also had seven sons and three daughters. The first daughter he named, and it goes on, uh, and it talks about uh, the, the kids that he has there. I do think it's interesting, verse 14, it says the first daughter was named Jemima. So there you go. You know, you always wondered where they came from the name for the syrup. There you go. Uh, it's a, it's a, they, 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 they named it after Job's daughter. So you can think about that when you have pancakes next time. What is, what is Job's final conclusion? Be humble before God. Because, you know, he did get a little annoyed at times. 
And what he says there is so crucial in verse 3. He says, Surely I spoke of things I did not understand. In other words, I got going and I said things that I think I shouldn't have said. Have you ever done that in life? Oh my gosh! If I could keep track of how many times I, I wish I hadn't said something I said. And as a minister, I speak for a living. I've got plenty of opportunities, you know, to, to wish I hadn't said something. I can't, I can't tell you how many times as a minister someone comes up to me and says, Boy, I remember when you said that. And they, they repeat back what I said and I cringe. I'm like, oh gosh, did I really say that? Mm. Now the funny thing is, sometimes the things that people hated were also the things that somebody else comes up to me and says, Boy, I remember when you said that and it changed my life. And it was the same thing. Nonetheless, we all say that we get going sometimes in life. And we say things we shouldn't have said. We act in ways that in our better judgment we wouldn't act. He says, Surely I spoke of things I didn't understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You know, a lot of times in life we'd be better off if we've shut up. Just shut up. And God tells him, listen, you've gone a little bit too far right there. And he humbles himself before God. He says, God, I know that I've gone too far in my life. I don't know what... Jesus said, you must have the heart of a child to enter the kingdom of heaven. There you go. So many of the problems of our life could be fixed if we just humble ourselves before God. If we just admit, I've blown it. I have a tendency to blow it. I'll do it again. I'll mess up again. I'll sin again. I'll hurt your feelings again. Sometimes we hurt the feelings of those we love the most. The most. Because we're around them. We need to humble ourselves before God. And we need to forgive our friends. He said, Job's going to pray for you. And after Job prayed for him, God blessed him. You know, it makes me wonder in some of our lives, is God waiting for you? After Job prayed for them. Isn't that what it says? In verse 10, after Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord made him prosperous again and gave him twice as much as he had before. Is God waiting for you? You need to forgive your parents. You need to forgive your boss. You need to forgive your wife. Is she griping about your bad breath? Are there teachers... Coaches, neighbors, former boyfriends and girlfriends. Are there people in our life that we seriously need to forgive? Joe forgave his friends. His friends tried. I think they really wanted to do what was right, but they just fumbled all over themselves because they basically had a mindset that wasn't helpful. And their mindset was, I am going to break him. You know, sometimes in life we feel like the answer to helping someone is that I've got to be the hammer. 
Well, there's a time in life where we all need to get hammered. There's other times in life where we need someone that are not hammered that way, John. <laughs> the Bible talks about that. That's drunkenness. <laughs> no, we don't need to get hammered in that way, okay? But there's times someone needs to speak the truth and love to us. There's, some times, there's times in our life when someone needs to get up in our face and get up in our business and say, listen, you are wrong. And your spirit and attitude, your actions are wrong. There's a time for that. But there's also a time in our life when someone needs to be tender and gentle and patient with us in our life. He forgave His friends. He humbled Himself before God. He forgave His friends. And He kept a great attitude in life. He struggled with His attitude. Do you struggle with yours? Well, I've got to tell you, I struggle with my attitude. My attitude sometimes is not the right attitude. And I don't think I'm the only one in the room. He humbled himself for God. He forgave his friends. And he kept a great attitude. I think that's his final conclusion. He went through this time in his life that this is, wow, what a time. Now he has ten kids again. Now he has a fortune again. Now he has his reputation again. He humbled himself before God. He forgave the people he needed to forgive. And he kept a good attitude in his heart. I think that is Job's final conclusion of dealing with this temptation. Go back and read the book of Job. Please do. Please be patient during those middle chapters because you're going to have to hang in there uh, to, to get to chapter 42 where you actually see the end of the story as it comes along. We didn't begin to touch all the different things that Job says and all the different things uh, that the different uh, friends say as, as we go on through. And there's a lot more. We could do a whole series of lessons on the book of Job. This is just a big uh, overview of, of the temptation and the circumstances there uh, that hopefully will be helpful for you today. Next week we're going to go to Jesus. We're going to look at Jesus and the temptation at the beginning of his ministry and then we're going to look at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and then that will conclude then our, our three week series and we're a very quick series here on temptation hopefully this is helpful for you dealing with temptation in your life how we see that Adam and Eve and, and the circumstances there how we see with uh, uh, Job and what happened with him and then next week of course ending with Jesus of how he dealt with temptation in our life let's have a good week this week let's be able to come back next Sunday and say yeah I was tempted Tempted, but I I uh, yielded to or, uh, I didn't yield I get I did I stood up to the temptation and and I was good even though I was tempted to be bad in a different circumstance. I hope this study is a good study for you and helping you in your life. Let's go get them. You're dismissed.